welcome to the Rigging the Game podcast. This is my first uh, interview with the one and only Randy Massengale, and I had to start off here. I met Randy about four or five years ago when I was at a crossroads uh, in my, my entrepreneurial journey, and I reached out to some friends and I asked for an introduction to uh, a coach, and uh, a couple people came back with, you gotta talk to, to Randy, but we can't really tell you anything about him. You just have to meet him because he's completely uh, non-conventional and he won't compare to any other coach that you meet with. And uh, this podcast is all about being non-conventional and my, my whole kind of spiel in, uh, in life is, uh, is being non-conventional. So I was certainly intrigued and Randy didn't disappoint. Uh, he's got a wide ranging uh, career from working in tech companies, Techtronics, Intel, Fluke, Microsoft, to uh, uh, being a leadership professor at Seattle U and everything uh, in between. So uh, without further ado, uh, here's the interview with Randy Massengill. Enjoy. Here's the big question. The game podcast. If you're looking to change your family tree, redefine an industry, reach new limits, or live an unconventional life, how are, how are you setting yourself up to guarantee this will happen? This podcast is going to cut through all the cliche, cookie cutter, and conventional recommendations about finance, business, and life, and give you the tips you need to get the outcomes you want while playing your game. I'm Dan Nicholson, and this is, is, is the Rigging the Game Podcast. Randy, it's great to uh, have you here on the podcast. You know, we have known each other for uh, somewhere around four years yes. at this point. Correct. And, you know, the way that we initially met was I had sort of gotten to a place in my business where it became apparent that I needed to get a coach. Actually, my wife was like, I think you really need to get a coach because <laughs> uh, it seems like you keep making some of the same mistakes. <laughs> so I reached out to some trusted friends and uh, a couple people got back to me and said, you really need to talk to this guy, Randy, uh, he's completely unconventional. Of course, the show is about unconventional uh, recommendations. So, and I fancy myself unconventional. So it's like they knew what I needed to hear. Like Randy's completely unconventional. Uh, I can't really describe him at all. Uh, you just need to meet with him. And so that was sort of uh, the starting point of our conversation. Now I tell other people, you really need to meet Randy. I can't really explain who he is. You just need to talk to him. So with that, I guess, how do you explain to people uh, or who you are or what you do or what, what you're about? Well, it's interesting because if you can actually call out what you do and codify what you do, then other people can duplicate it. I remember when I was first at Microsoft early in the 90s, uh, they said that we won't uh, codify all our procedures because we don't want anybody to duplicate them. I think that got somewhere buried in my DNA back in the 90s. And so when I started coaching early in the 2000s, I started just looking at what needed to be done. What was the job that needed to be done versus here is the standard operating procedure for you. And it looks the same as for someone else. And it looks the same for uh, anybody that's in the business. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I always appreciated about you is that every time I've talked to you from the beginning, you've had some unique angle, some unique uh, value proposition that you were touting at the time mm -hmm. that when we dig further and peel the onion, we actually see that there's some gems in there. And then that's where we start. When most people want to do an intake, like you're a patient in a hospital, 
try to take your pulse and your you know, yeah. your vital signs and right. all of those things. And those things are important. But I think that that should be the measurement of them. They should be a byproduct of the, the personal plan that you have. Yeah. And so that's why I have a kind of unconventional approach. Plus, I, I grew up in an unconventional manner. Right? I grew up yeah. in South Central Los Angeles. I went to Liberox College in Oregon. Uh, played basketball. Uh, joined the technology business such as uh, Intel and Microsoft. So all of that is gets kind of uh, amalgamated into my approach. So right. I may give you a reference from South Central LA, or I may give you a reference from classical literature. Yeah. It just depends on what you need and how you do things. Yeah, and so in that in that initial conversation that we had, it was. It was almost like a memento, if you've seen that movie, where you were just, when you were doing the intake that wasn't really an intake, asking all these questions, and I was sort of trying to figure out, how does this all, yeah, how does this all fit yeah. together? But one of them, and it's something that actually informs this podcast quite a bit, was this idea of playing your game in mm -hmm. business. And you asked me some questions about like my favorite sport or hobby. Absolutely. And uh, people know, uh, listen to this podcast that, that I've uh, leveraged this <laughs> approach to try to help other people figure out their style of business. I just cite you when I do that. But could you sort of walk through how you uh, try to figure out what people's style of business is? Well, as a, as a basketball player, I was a point guard. And your job is to give the ball to anybody who's open to initiate the offense to be the coach on the court. Mm -hmm. But things happen so fast and they can change so rapidly that it's real hard to have a prescribed menu. Mm -hmm. But what you, what I found early on is how people played the game, okay, when they were unfettered, when they were uncoached, when they were playing pickup games, that's the personality that they had off the court. Mm -hmm. And I saw that how people, uh, say how you grow up when you don't have all the rules that you're having to adhere to as you're growing up, uh, you can actually be who you are. So I like to take people back to that time in their life where they were exactly in their element. What were they doing? How did it feel? What did they see? And you know, when people are definitely in their element, you can see it in their face and the continence that they have. And so when I was talking to you initially, and you were talking about being a shooting guard. Yep. And I knew that you were willing to take chances, right. that yep. you were willing to uh, have the responsibility, mm -hmm. and you were willing to take the last shot. And so in business, that is your orientation. Yep. So for me to coach you and say, you need to be more conservative, when that is completely against your nature, right. is not the key. The key is how do I keep your party going, not how do I slow you down. Right, right. Yeah, I find that there's sort of the combination of maybe our hard wiring of like needing to bucketize things as like fact or fiction mm -hmm. and the way that our formal education is, is uh, set up that Absolutely. over time we sort of get away from playing our game mm -hmm. into these, into sort of what we're, what we think we're supposed to do. Absolutely. How do you, how do you see that playing out? It is one of the toughest things about uh, education, whether you're in private school, public school, whatever it is, 
it is important that people meet you at your point of need. I'll give you an example. I used to go to these teachers conferences for my kids. I have three kids and my eldest daughter is a very creative person. And I remember the teacher bringing out her artwork and she kept saying she needs to follow directions when she's doing her artwork. <laughs> and I said, good luck with that. I mean, she's a creative and if she thinks the corn cob looks better on the pig's hat versus in the pig's mouth, then it should go on the hat. Yeah. And I've always uh, looked at uh, education that you can, it should be something called mass customization. Okay. Mm -hmm. You should have these outside parameters that people can uh, um, adhere to, but within those, there should be some creativity that should be expressed. And so I see that um, after you go to school for you know, 12 years and then to college and then grad school or even beyond, it's like all the creativity that you had goes into conformity versus creativity. Yeah. So I bring back the creativity as a coach. I try to bring back the creativity and then have you do it within context. So you may do it within the financial world. Someone else may do it within technology. Someone else may do it within fashion. But there's still that's creativity that we want to bring to bear on it rather than we just reinforce rules all the time. Right, right. Yeah, I, the whole idea of uh, reinforcing rules is almost against the grain with the whole idea of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Yet I see so many entrepreneurs trying to Un maybe unknowingly apply rules to situations where there cannot be rules? Absolutely. Well, people crave certainty yeah. as they get older. You didn't crave certainty when you were a young kid. You went exploring everywhere. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what you were going to get into. Yeah. But then the next, uh, yeah, the next phase of your life, you introduce more and more certainty. Then by the time you're ready to engage in business, what you're looking for is the formula. Mm -hmm. And yep. if I can take the formula and I can apply the formula, then, well, at, at the very least, I won't lose money as fast. Mm -hmm. And it's all protecting the downside. Mm -hmm. And what uh, we need to teach and what you see in successful people is that they take those same principles, okay, and then they invert them. Mm -hmm. And they say, am I supposed to be conservative? Now, this time, I'm going to be more aggressive. And uh, you'll see them in a variety of instances be actually stronger, okay, as a result of maybe even failing by inverting, but getting back up and doing it again. And I've never seen a case when a person has been persistent in that inversion. I've never seen a case where they've failed in the long run. Okay. Yeah, just to maybe pick at that a little bit, make sure that I. Uh, fully clear on what you mean by inverting. Do you have an example that comes to mind of a scenario or framework that you would use to try to deconstruct an issue and then in, and then invert it? Yes, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a group of young entrepreneurs and they wanted to start a clothing business. And so they've been going around and looking at uh, different buildings where they can locate the, cl the clothing business because then they can open up, hang out their shingle, and hopefully people will come. And I said, why are you putting that energy into a location when you should be putting that energy into merchandising ideas? 
Okay, so start your don't start your company in a traditional location. Start your company online. Okay, start your company as a um, personal shopping business and build your clientele, and then you'll see the necessity for having bricks and mortar. But that's the inversion effect. Now these are very smart entrepreneurs. They're very highly educated, but they think conventionally conventionally and so it's my role to get them to think differently mm -hmm. what do you what do you think about because uh, I see this trend especially on on social media platforms of entrepreneurs sort of increasingly saying that the need for formal education is mm -hmm. is completely unnecessary mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's just the 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 bubbles that create on social media where there's just pockets of folks right. that do that. But as someone who coaches, but also is a formal educator, I mean, you teach uh, MBA level, executive MBA level mm -hmm. courses on leadership. When, and what is your, what do you see happening there? Well, this is an interesting situation nowadays because of the proliferation of online information. But I still believe in higher education. I'm, a, I'm an educator. I teach courses in leadership and business strategy. Uh, what, the reason why I still believe in it, there are three things. One, it teaches you the vocabulary of a discipline. And I think you do need to understand the vocabulary. Two, you know, the common principles that fall behind those, uh, the, the, the vocabulary. So the common principles of what happens when this happens and that happens. And then the third thing is to understand the level of complexity that you're involved with so you know when to get experts involved. Mm -hmm. Now, from a leadership standpoint, you can buy expertise on the web now for a lot cheaper than you could 30 years ago when you had to start a business and you had to have all these uh, credential people to help you with it. That's not the case anymore. Even to sustain your business, you can get the things done now at a third of the price that you could say 20 years ago. So consequently, it's not necessary to have a college degree per se, but you do have to have, I think, some formal schooling. What uh, Professor Gardner at Harvard calls the discipline mind. Mm -hmm. There's that gives you a way of viewing the world at a starting point so that you establish a beachhead where you are and then fan out. So whether it's in computer science or in uh, law, uh, accounting, uh, medicine, you know, all of those disciplines teach you a way of looking at the world and problem solving. But once you have that, that's when you have to found, fan out. You know, I talk a lot, and you and I have talked a lot about the T-shaped student, the T-shaped individual versus the I-shaped. Right. The I-shaped individual is what the, the, the education system tends to uh, churn out, okay, that seems to be their business, to take a person and have them drill all the way down. Hopefully somewhere in there they'll have the expertise to do whatever job it is that they are supposed to do. The T-shaped individual is the one that can take disparate pieces of information, synthesize them, and then direct them for some useful purpose. And that's when you get people that are breaking free. So when you talk about rigging the game, if the game isn't rigged by the I-shaped, they can only tell you what already exists. Yeah. The game is actually rigged by the T-shirt that can bring other ideas. And I'll give you an example. 
you know, one of the things that uh, is happening in, in uh, combat, in the theaters of combat, uh, is that they have uh, freeze-dried blood plasma where you can just pour water in it okay, and then you know, put in an IV and save a lot of lives right there on the, in the battlefield. Well, that idea then comes from the military, it came from coffee, freeze-dried coffee, like Folgers coffee, and those things where people freeze-dried it and took the ice out, and they just had the crystals, and you had water, and now you have a cup of coffee. Well, see, those ideas would be on the, the, the top axis of the T, going down to the vertebrates. It's sort of playing off the, the, the idea of uh, T-shaped and how that kind of takes things to the next next level. You know, I, I've experienced this in my own business where we confront things like onboarding. Like, what's the best way to onboard a client? And the, the conventional approach would be, let me just look at every other accounting firm and figure out how do they do onboarding and do the best. Or alternatively, you could just say, who is the best at the concept of onboarding? Maybe it's Southwest Airlines. Yeah. Or there's something like, What's onboarding equivalent to mm -hmm. dating? Maybe yeah. you go like, how do we apply the the principles of dating to the concept of bringing a new client on? And all of a sudden, you have this this solution. And so it seems to me that, and of course, I, I learned a lot of this from from you. Kind of the idea of like inverting everything is what I think a lot of folks would would call like hacking. Mm -hmm. you know, this, mm -hmm. this, uh, biohacking or lifestyle hacking is right. like the, the buzz the buzzwords that are out there. Um, do you see yourself as like trying to like hack conventional problems, or, or do you think you you stand? Well, it's interesting because I use a dual edged approach, and uh, one of the things that uh, I am is a student of history. And the great historian, Will Durant, said, you come in in the middle of history, not at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I'm dealing with an entity that we're trying to onboard, I want to get as much of their history as possible. Mm -hmm. Tell me where you were. Tell me where you are. What was the motivation that you had to start this organization? When you came in, what did you see? What do you feel is lacking most? And then I'll start probing from there. I'm not going to stop there. I'm starting to probe there. And then that's when I start making recommendations as to what we should do first. Because they may have already thought that they've covered all the basics before with other coaches, with other organizations that they've worked with or something like that. And what you're doing by not understanding the history is you may be duplicating work that they've already done, and that makes them really upset before you even start working with them. Right. The other thing is to understand that this is a process I don't like to take people on unless they have a certain amount of intellectual curiosity. The, if you read about anyone that has ever uh, made fundamental changes in, in business or social life, the leaders are readers. And so if you aren't intellectually curious and you want to fix, then you'll have to go somewhere else because uh, I want you to start reading a, a bibliography that is tailor-made to you so you can think and see yourself in the circumstances of where you want to go. And a lot of coaches will say, well, we don't make you read much, so you're just kind of dealing with uh, 
trying to change a habit or something like that, or just getting them to uh, do enough repetition so that they will change. Uh, that's not my approach. I come from a liberal arts background. I believe that it's the, the way of the, the future. I've lived long enough now to know that my eclectic style is uh, now valued in the marketplace, whereas maybe 40 years ago, that wasn't the case. Everybody wanted you to be a specialist back in that day, and then you just kind of drilled out your specialty. Yeah, my observation of coaches these days is it's hyper-focused on either the idea of like hacking lifestyle or the other side is it's just hyper-focused on uh, mindset. Yeah. And well, there seems to be a gap between those that is unaddressed. Well, one of the things that, that, that always impressed me about you was your willingness to have the experience. And what I mean by that is, yeah, I can tell you what mindset you need or I can show you or we can stop this habit and start that one. But the willingness to explore within your domain and explore yourself at the same time. And out of that comes all the creativity that you see in your business and why it's growing so much. And so the idea is don't take one idea, don't take one approach and then live that. It's like taking a snapshot and then they're gonna live the snapshot. And I got a I have a lot of passion around that because I work with a lot of athletic coaches and players. And one of my criticisms about an athletic coach, and I hope people know when they have a kid trial for a team. At the beginning of the year, they say, well, this kid's not very good, it's sort of marginal or she's marginal, but we'll put her on the team. And then the person starts working, the player starts to work and work and get better and better. But because the coach has already taken the snapshot of who they're going to have on the pitch or on the court, they don't play the person, even though they're getting much better. And the same thing happens in business. I've seen people who start out very slowly and stumble and not quite get it right yeah. but they use the kind of perseverance and they go in and they get they roll up their sleeves and they get dirty they talk to more people and they get more information and they try it out and that's what i'm talking about by willing to have the experience you know, try it out okay that didn't work i'll try something else and they don't get discouraged by that one of the things that uh, i heard of uh, one of the uh, Jake Bennett, uh, the Tony Bennett's uh, dad, the coach from Virginia's dad, <laughs> saying, I need players I can lose with. <laughs> and what that means is they don't get discouraged. They keep trying. They're willing to try the new things, even though they're not getting the exact results that they want at the time. And that's the, that, I believe, is the real key. Yeah, one of the philosophies, and I and you've got several of them that I'm going to sort of like <laughs> fire off at some point, but one of them is, if you're gonna lose the game, lose the game, but like play your game. Don't lose right. because you, you're playing someone else's style. Absolutely. There's a thing in, in uh, religious circles, uh, spiritual circles, don't preach somebody else's sermon, okay? You know, the, uh, the, the idea is, comes from uh, 2,500 years ago in the Art of War, Sun Tzu, the great general, said, know yourself, know your enemy, and you can fight 100 battles without peril. The first step to that is knowing yourself. And so if you are trying to adapt your style all the time to the opposition without knowing what you're good at, you're just going to play right into their hands. Yeah. And the worst thing that can happen is you can have a little success. 
And then you think, okay, I beat the odds this time. And it's like, no, you're, you're not beating the odds. You're going to prove that yeah. the odds do exist. Yeah, it does always seem to come back to playing your game. Yeah. And is there a point, though, which, and I might have some bias in this mm -hmm. question, a point in which playing your game becomes the, the death of you or, or problematic? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, I remember reading the book about General Powell before, uh, Colin Powell, before he went to the uh, UN um, and, and violated his own principle. But he said, don't be so close to your position that when it goes down, you go down with it. And you guys, if you're not getting results, yeah. and, if you, and you know what your game is, you may be, you may have the wrong game. Okay, That is possible. And that's why you know, coaches are always uh, tweaking and, and uh, they're always uh, watching film and critiquing to see if they can make the, the subtle changes. The, the concern is, do you make wholesale changes in your game or do you make subtle changes? And most times you don't you don't need to throw the baby out with the bath water, but you do need to make right. some, some adjustments. Yeah, inter incremental shifts rather than where changing the entire way that we play defense. And it, it, all this is going to do is you're going to have to turn over the hourglass and start over. Right. Okay. And every time you make a fundamental shift, you're taking that same hourglass and you're turning it over because there's going to be a learning curve with anything fundamentally you need to do. Now, if you have the luxury of going away for six months or a year or something like that and changing your game and then coming back and reinventing yourself, by all means, and I'll give you all the tools to do that. But if you're in the game and trying to reinvent yourself, you're headed for some problems. Yeah, there's this concept, in, and then maybe I got it from you, which is sometimes you're running two races. Yeah. You're running the you're running the the current business and you have some other objective that you want to accomplish absolutely and often the observation that i've had is that folks try to go from running one race and let me stop that one and run another one so no you need to actually finish the one that you're already running while simultaneously absolutely you know i looked uh, there's a, a book out there called uh, the end of average uh, grows and it looked at entrepreneurs who had a day job and continued to work on uh, their uh, their dream job okay and the ones that were most successful weren't the ones that quit their day job and worked on their dream job they worked in parallel okay and they learned from both of those and some of them uh, most of them actually did a better job on their day job than they did than other people around them because they were so gay. They were so uh, conditioned to work well and to look for new things to do and to do what it takes that they get recognized where they are. So a lot of times when people come to me and they say, well, I want to start a company and I'm going, well, how well are you doing at the current business that you're in? And what have you been doing there? Because most times people are going to revert back to those habits anyway. So I really want to know what they are before we start to engage. Right. Yeah, there is a certain, if you think about yourself as a business owner as 100% commission, mm -hmm. then that kind of inverts, to use your terms, the way that you think about everything. So yeah. 
if you had a job that was 100% salary and now you're moving to a job that's 100% commission, then you would go, maybe I should stockpile some cash first. Right. I'm 100% commission now and I, I have things I have to pay for. That's, and, and you see most people, I see most people go on vacation mm -hmm. uh, with more information than they do career choices. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to go to uh, France or somewhere. They're going to check yeah. out all these places. See Notre Dame, Champs-Élysées, the, the Arc de Triomphe, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Louvre, all of these places. And they're going to know exactly what's in them and what they do and how much it costs to get in. Detail and then right. as soon as they, oh, I got an idea to do a business. Oh, I got an idea to do a career switch. And then I go do it. Right. And I'm saying if you do at least as much uh, study, as least as much, least as much uh, due diligence on what you want to do as your dream job, as your dream position, yeah. as you do go going on vacation. Yeah. Vacation yeah. principle. Yeah. It is. It really is. Okay, so every coaching session that I've ever had with you, and I assume this is the case with every, I know this is true, at least from other people that I know that you work with, before you can get into anything, we talk about what's going on with our families, yes. our exercise, absolutely, and uh, just life in general, absolutely. And so, where does that where does that come from? Uh, what's the thought process behind that? Well, if you check the, the all the great face, uh, all the great face will talk about checking the fruit on the tree. Okay, if uh, your family is in disarray and you think that you can compartmentalize that, just go on with the business part and say, Randy, I just want to you to coach me on the business and the family piece, then sooner or later that's gonna manifest itself and it's gonna start affecting your performance and your profession. And so we get that uh, out of the way, so to speak, we find out what's going on with the kids. And plus, just from a personal standpoint, I think more people, especially uh, those of us who have grown children, should invest more in, in, in the lessons learned uh, with uh, with other people, and so I try to make sure that I get you or anyone else uh, who has uh, children and uh, out there working hard and doing uh, having to go to school plays and having to you know, drop what you're doing to go see a sick child or something like that. Uh, just to give them some encouragement that this too shall pass, but it should. Uh, they also have uh, tremendous potential. I've been you know, thoroughly blessed with uh, you know, three kids. It, it is from a personal standpoint. Uh, so I'm broke now because the chief of school in attended with Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> I recall that that uh, there were times that you said that if you had to do the parenting thing over, mm -hmm. that maybe you would have focused a little bit more on your career. Now, this is not something that you hear anybody else ever say, right? The, yeah, they, the deathbed cliche always right. like, you need to spend more time with, with, uh, with family, friends, etc. You're saying the opposite. Well, not just the, the opposite. I want to make sure that people understand. It's not that I wouldn't go to any school plays or any press, but I wouldn't try to make it to every practice, every school play, at the detriment of some things that I should do for myself. And now, um, yeah, I am a student of Spanish language, have been for the last uh, probably 40 years growing up in Los Angeles. 
but I think if I had looked at other languages, other especially romance languages, I probably would speak five different languages by now if I weren't at every football practice. Yeah. So it's not like uh, you don't attend uh, the, the football games or the athletic events or anything like that. What you do is you pick and choose, and if you can tag team with a partner, tag team that as well. But uh, you know, sometimes you feel totally guilty because you have to fly across the country to make sure you make it to the school play. And uh, you may be dropping something that is very important for their future. Okay, so it has to be some balance there, especially given the number of events that kids are involved with now. You could be out, if you have two kids, you could be out four or five nights a week, just taking them to recitals and, and uh, rehearsals and all of those kinds of things. And I think that uh, you still, as an entrepreneur, as a parent, you still have to invest in yourself. I say fill up the principle first and then share the dividends with other people. So what happens is as parents especially, and we want to be participative, and I remember my dad only saw me play one basketball game, so I said, okay, I'm gonna make sure I see all my kids' games. And that was, a, that was in my estimation, wrong in response to that. It was on the others, the value of the, the pendulum had swung the other way. Yeah. And so now I'm saying, look at what you need as well as what your kids need. Fill your uh, account up. <laughs> and then as the dividends spill over, make sure you're sharing those with it. Yeah, there's a all or nothing mentality, especially mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. that I think can can be extremely anxiety inducing because you go, I either need to get from zero, I need to get to from zero to a billion in revenue. Right. And anything other than that mm -hmm. is a failure. And I need to go to every single kid's uh, event and pick them up and right. be there every single night. And, mm -hmm. and if I'm not doing that, I'm I'm a failure or mm -hmm. I'm ruin my kids. Absolutely. And you just can sort of apply that all or nothing to to everything and it becomes this like hustle mentality. That's it. And the, and the, the one thing that poor people and rich people have in common, okay, is that they all have 24 hours in a day. And if you are trading your time for activities, irrespective of how much money you're making, you're still going to run up against that physical barrier. So consequently, I ask that you really be judicious with your time because that is not a renewable resource, okay? So if you miss some money somewhere, all right, that's fine. You can actually regenerate money and not miss that. But you can't take last Thursday, say, okay, I'm gonna use it next Thursday. So consequently, it's important that you know how you're going to use your time, and that's the, that's the element. And, the same, and, and by that same token, you must carve out time for yourself if you're an entrepreneur, because if you get to that billion and then you drop out, okay, yeah. you know, then you know, what good did you do? Okay. Yeah. So what we want to do is be able to take the resources that we have, take the time that we have, evaluate them, and then see if you're utilizing your time properly. And if you're not, then think about inverting what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. 
<laughs> I've got some kind of rapid fire questions for you, I guess. What's a heart popper? <laughs> this goes back to something that my uh, daughter, uh, Coco, who actually uh, was really precocious as a young child, and um, I didn't want her to eat the wrong thing, and, she, and it was too much cholesterol. She said, well, what will happen? I said, well, your heart will pop. So, well, how can I get that? How can I not have it pop? And she's, and I said, well, you have to exercise. And so, and so as soon as she heard that, she started doing jumping jacks. Yeah. She was about five years old. She was doing jumping jacks and she's jogging around the house and yeah. doing stuff like that. So anytime somebody goes off kind of half-cocked and without thinking about what their response is, we call it a heart popper. Yep. Yeah, you've told me before, don't, you know, don't <laughs> go pull a, a heart popper off. Uh, and to some degree, that's back to like the hustling over all-in overgeneralization, which is like, okay, we have a mission. Yeah, as soon as I hear it, I'm out doing it. And you know, that's, you take us time, take a little time to step back a little bit and be a little more strategic. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, then I think you've got a specific pers uh, perspective when someone's about to blow up uh, in terms of like take things to the next level. Uh, question you've asked is, what do I have to worry about you doing? <laughs> well, one of the there, there's two tyrants in a successful person's life. One is scrutiny, and the other one's expectations. And if you aren't responding to those okay properly, then something bad is going to happen. And so, when you're on the, when you're at that inflection point of going to the next level, how are you handling the scrutiny? Everybody looking at your every move all the time. And then how are you handling the expectation that you're going to be this mega successful person? And I'm always looking for how you're grounding yourself because that's what it's going to come to. And then sometimes the activities are different. You know, some people will say, well, then you need to spend more time with your family or something like that. I may say, you need to spend more time at the gym. Okay. Put, you know, you're, you're a shooting guard, go put up some shots. Okay. That, that brings your equilibrium. Uh, brings your equilibrium into place and it also helps you kind of gain perspective that you're doing those kinds of activities. So uh, it's not just uh, slow down or okay, you know, be more grounded by staying home or don't let this go to your head. And every successful person I've ever studied, never met, has an ego. And to try to act like you don't have it, that's the wrong thing to do because then it pops out at the wrong time. Yeah. It'll let people exercise that and just make sure that they have some positive outputs. And there's a bit of a gut check on what is the thing that your ego is going to draw you to, right? right. Like, is it sex? Is it drugs? Is it Absolutely. And that's, that's why you need, uh, if, if you don't have a coach, you need a mentor, you need someone there to calibrate your you know, expectations of yourself. Okay? Uh, you know how you want to come off. You know how you want to represent it's important that someone help you with, all right, I am getting off track, so here, just make these uh, set adjustments. When you start getting to the point where you say, well, I don't need anybody, that is like the forerunner to a melting. Now, when, when uh, things start picking up, like in your business or in your life, uh, I don't remember your exact saying, but sort of look out for who's going to hold you back, essentially. Right. Paraphrasing. Well, uh, there's a saying that I, 
have uh, that comes out of power generation uh, domain when when a, a turbine turns more slowly okay it starts to suck energy versus producing it that's called motorizing motorizing the generator and what happens is people around us can do that where you have this momentum and you want to have you know it's lonely at the top so i want to bring these people with me and all these kinds of things and all of a sudden they start taking up a lot of emotional capital and now your generator starts turning more slowly and now you're sucking more they're sucking more energy than what you are able to produce and that's motorizing and you have to make sure that the people around you aren't motorizing your generator motorizing future what i love that um five and done oh well this is an interesting concept because a lot of people struggle with this from all the way up to just below the ceo level what happens is that you may be able to do 10 things that the organization needs but they only hired you to do five now they do not want to hear from you about the other five that you can do because that's the five and dime theory so you have to stay in your lane with those five initially until you build a point of uh, either trust or they get so desperate that they ask you. But as soon as you start jumping out of your five things and try to go for the other five, that's when relationships start to fray. And so people get in a lot of trouble not adhering to the five and done. Yeah. Uh, not only trouble with their bosses, but also I think some internal strife. Of like, Why aren't they letting me do this? Absolutely. I should be allowed to do this and they don't care about me. I, I talked to a executive, a very high level executive the other day that has uh, got a lane to fix a certain thing in the company, but there's other, there are other things that need to be fixed that this person has uh, experience with, but that's not what they hired you for. They need you to hire you to do these. Now there's cognitive dissonance. Why did I take this job when they're not letting me be who I am? They're not letting me make the maximum contribution that I can make. And maybe I'm in the wrong place. What you have to understand about that, and it, it is culturally specific as well, but what you have to understand is that you must get those five things done first <laughs> and you must do them to the point where it's so proficient that they can say all right these these things can be on autopilot let me let you help us in other places what is your approach to uh to reading uh -huh. I feel like you've got yeah you've got di different you don't just open a book and just read it cover to cover maybe you do sometimes but yeah, what's, well, what's your approach? My approach to reading is I, I really don't read, I study. So you will very rarely see me open a book and read it cover to cover without me highlighting things or writing in the margin or doing any of those things. Uh, when I was at Microsoft, uh, the word came out that Bill Gates read a book a week, mainly historical biography. Okay, I go, wow, book a week? Well, I'm not even doing a book a month at that time. And I started reading historical biographies, and that led to a lot of things that I'm doing now. But even today, uh, I'm reading books that uh, 
are going to ex expand my horizons. I just think that if something comes out that is a new take on an old subject or something like that, then I'm going to read it, I'm going to study it, I'm going to understand it. Um, right now, I'm reading a book called Range, which talks about uh, the T-shaped uh, individuals and how well they do versus the I-shaped. I'm also in a book with um, about Pope Francis and his 16 most essential addresses that he's had in the last five years. And uh, marking those up, and it's a conversation with uh, French journalists and talking about uh, all manner of uh, human experience. And so it's just been a, a wealth of you know, quotes and, and ideas that I'm able to get. Yeah. And I, I try to mix up, you know, some things are about business, some things are about people, some things are about philosophy, but all things have to be studied. And my observation is that you're not just reading one page or one book at any given time. You might be reading multiple books, mm -hmm. studying multiple books simultaneously, and also maybe reading two pages yeah. here or there. Absolutely. Some books, you need to meditate on. And say the book is 500 pages, but every three pages might be an essay by somebody. You know, don't pick that one up and read 10 essays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I may read three pages over a whole entire six month period or something like that, or uh, three pages a night. I also do uh, audio books, you know, I'm in, in the car or exercising and uh, that's important because but I, I don't do an audio book unless I'm going to buy the actual hardcover book because okay. I want to mark it up once I hear okay so you're, you you listen to a chapter or a few pages and then mm -hmm. you go back to the go back to the hard copy book and then and I'm fortunate enough because I teach seminars on a lot of these things I'll teach a seminar once a month to next generation business people so they may be in family business and they're going to take over that family business at, at one point. Yeah. And so I teach a seminar once a month and using a book that uh, is applicable to their circumstances. So that's worked out real well. How does one know if it's a book that they need to meditate on versus mm. kind of carry forward? So well, first you look at what is it, what are the, what is it about yourself that you enjoy what is it about yourself that you want to work on and then you find reading material that speaks to that but it doesn't tell you here is the formula okay and so do these five things so you'll know that you have to take it one one page maybe two pages three pages at a time depending on what those pages are talking to you about mm -hmm. one of the sources of uh, at least nonfiction books that I watch every weekend, religiously, is C-SPAN's book TV. And they interview authors of all, all stripes, and shapes, and sizes. And when you hear the author and know where that person's coming from, you'll know whether it's a book that you want to read and underline or one that you think, okay, I should just learn more and, and uh, get this inculcated into my philosophy. And then what, what is it, 
What is a typical Randy day? Is there is there a typical Randy day? I, I keep Do you trying have a formula. I keep trying to make one, and then everything gets in the way. But pretty much, in fact, I just read a book called My Morning Routine. Because it's been a great kind of yeah, a huge branding budget to come up with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> but uh, after that, I started examining my morning routine. And the first thing that I do when I get up is that I do some stretching exercises and I do uh, 100 crunches. Okay. And I do 100 crunches. I used to do 100 crunches to maintain a six pack. Now that I'm older, I do 100 crunches. So that my sciatic nerve does flare up. So that, and then I'll start reading the sciatic nerve. Yeah, that's, that's it. I know if I if I go three days without doing that, then I can start feeling the nerves start coming back. So I definitely are gonna have this in the repertoire from here on out. Yeah. But also I'll start uh, journaling. Okay. I usually journal in Spanish so I can keep my vocabulary going. And uh, once I journal, then I'll do 30 minutes of reading. Okay? And uh, after 30 minutes of reading, um, that usually takes me to about 6.30 in the morning okay. at that time. And then I will exercise till 7.30. Okay. And then after that, I start taking calls. Okay? And when I start taking calls, I'm taking calls from either the East Coast, I'll take calls from you know, other countries like Indonesia or somewhere, or, down in Guatemala someplace. But uh, that will usually go until 3, 3.30 in the afternoon and I'll start preparing for class where uh, I'll teach starting at 5.30, 6 o'clock until 8, and then start that thing over again. Okay. Uh, I guess kind of wrapping up, is there anything that, that uh, we haven't talked about or anything that you would want to sort of leave the listeners with well, first of all, I want to congratulate you. Uh, thank you. Since I've known you, you've never been satisfied with just being who woke up the day before. Mm -hmm. That there's something uh, about you that says, I want to not only do well, okay, but I want to do some good. Okay. And you do good when you are hiring all these people, these young people admire you, uh, the, your professors and talk to. Uh, from way back in the day, believe that you're just a special individual. And, uh, I, I'm not saying it's just because you're the host. Because <laughs> well, it's appreciated. But I do, I do appreciate who you become and who you're becoming. And you're not done. Okay, you could you could rest right now. Okay, and and hit cruise control. See if you can go find a sailboat. And uh, that's not how you're constituted. And by by doing it the way you do it, you help a lot of people, including me, because I look at your progress and I'm buoyed by it and it keeps me getting up at five in the morning to do my crunching. Well, thank you for saying that, I'm honored. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. You know, you've been hugely impactful to me in terms of really solidifying what it means to play my game and live a unconventional life. What why not? Which is sort of the, again, the theme of this show. So thanks for, thanks for coming on. Uh, where can people find you if they, or how can people reach out? Yeah, if they would uh, catch me at Seattle University, okay. uh, you can uh, just go on their website, type in Randy Massengale, 
M-A-S-S is in Sam, E-N-G-A-L-E. And it will show you all these great things that uh, not only Seattle is doing, but uh, happy to be a part of. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Rigging the Game podcast. You can find show notes and much, much more at www.riggingthegame.com. And remember, you get to set the rules for how you play this game of life. So if you make the rules, why not rig the game to win? Thank you.